1: In depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And welcome into a post game week one edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City. Kicked in the teeth is one way to put it, that's the way Mike Tomlin put it. It was all kinds of ugly from start to finish for the Steelers today, losing 30-7 to the San Francisco 49ers in their home opener. We are going to break it down from front to back, top to bottom, and try to find some sort of silver lining in this thing moving forward. I'm Chris Mack, Josh Taylor alongside Greg Finley, our intrepid producer, trying to ensure we don't end up at some point just throwing stuff at the wall and losing our minds over this one because it was bad, Josh, like that you, and you could tell it was going to be bad from the very first drive on each side of the ball, very first drive on each side of the ball. You've got a Steelers three and out and you've got the 49ers essentially walking down the field. And they did, they walked down the field, seven plays, 54 yards in less than four minutes after the Steelers went negative 5 yards on three plays and that set the tone and 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 it took off from there
0: well the good news for me is i have nothing in this room to throw against the wall cuz it's completely empty cuz i've been in a room that's still being renovated so that's the one thing i got going for me at the moment oh. but you're right the 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 way these first drives look for each team and honestly it, it's not even as much about how you know, one team was just so dominant and one wasn't. It was more or less about how everything worked for one team and how everything didn't work for the other one. And for the Steelers, it was, you know, not as terrible as it probably looked on its face when you saw that first drive. Okay, Deontay Jonathan falls, so you can't convert. And you're like, okay, that doesn't seem too terrible. But then San Francisco gets the ball and they just start converting. They just keep going. And George Kittle on the fourth down, the guy who we didn't know if it was going to play, right. he ends up playing and converts on the fourth down in that
1: first drive. Pat and then P oh falls yeah. over at the goal line, bang.
0: Pat P falls in the red zone and they score a touchdown. Now you are going okay. Now this looks a lot worse and it's more concerning. And it just uh-huh. it just snowballed from there. And you you talk about. We, we talked about this all week. We talked about the things that could go wrong or the things we could see from this team or the things that certain people were capable of doing. Well, Chris, all those things happened on San Francisco's end at the same time. Nick Bosa yeah. didn't make that much of an impact as far as productivity, but his presence was felt. You knew he was yeah. there because he might not have gotten to the quarterback, but he made sure that someone else did if
1: he didn't. And well, it's, Devo it's Samuel... And some of those other oh. guys we talked about on the defensive side of the ball too, you know, oh, Fred man. Warner, um, uh, Hufanga came up big in a couple of spots. Charverius Ward, who at the last minute we didn't know if he was going to play or not, he shows yep. up and he makes some plays. Um, and and that was just on the one side of the ball. And then yeah, you, you go into the offensive side of the ball. Debo's making plays, and 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 it, Brock Purdy looked like Brock Purdy looked like the first round pick, and Kenny Pickett looked like the Mister Irrelevant.
0: Yeah, that's the best way to put it. That's the best way to put it. And it's not even as much about how Brock Purdy was that spectacular. It's just no. Brock Purdy had the easier day because the guys around him were executing because Brock Purdy had time in the pocket. Brock Purdy had receivers that were staying on their feet. And hanging onto the ball when he threw it to them. And right. Brock Purdy also, here's where he is separated from Kenny Pickett. Brock Purdy's clock was a lot slower to borrow bar, bar the, the, uh, the, um, The Clint Hurdle phrase, his heartbeat was a lot slower. (laughs) He was completing passes that were, you know, within 12 yards in front of him. He was doing the things that Kenny Pickett did not do. That's why Brett Purdy, you know, it wasn't that he looked, was that, that great of an efficient game. He just did the things he needed to do. And the thing with Kenny Pickett last season in those last nine games when they went seven and two, the thing that made Katie Pickett look so good was that he just did those small things he needed to do, and he couldn't do them today, Chris. He just, yeah. did, for whatever reason, whether it's him, whether it's people around him, whether it was pressure in his face, he just could not do those little things that he needed to do.
1: Well, the game came down first, first and foremost, and, and the Mike Tomlin quote, you know, we got kicked in the teeth in many different ways, is true in, in in what I think is the number one reason the 49ers won this game and won it so decisively. They did exactly what we talked about. I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday. They out yep. the Steelers. Yep. They literally beat them up, Josh, in the trenches specifically. Their D-line beat up the Steelers' O-line. To your point, Kenny didn't have a lot of time uh, in a lot of instances, and the run game had no room when they did try to use it before they got down big on the other side of the ball, the, the, the offensive line just ripped open holes for Christian McCaffrey. And and so you take a very good running back and they protected Brock Purdy pretty well. Most Mm -hmm. of the time, although we'll get to TJ Watt in a little bit. Um, (laughs) They, they, they dominated up front on both sides of the ball. And when you get as dominated as the Steelers did up front, there's just, you you could tell the, the the drive at the end of the first half aside, you could tell that they were kind of having their, their heart their heart snatched from them, right? Snatched right out of their chest oh, yeah. they were just getting oh, yeah. punched in the face.
0: Well, they were they were snatching Steelers' chains all day. It it was
1: <laughs> but Chris, my grandma gave me that chain. My grandma
0: gave me that chain. But like we talked like you said, we, we talked about this, and I I I could feel how some people were just like, Why are you saying so much about this defense? And my first response is A, have you actually watched them play before? Because if you're watching this game going, are the 49ers always as good? Yeah. Yeah, they're always that good. This was the number one defense in points allowed last season. This was the number one defense in yards allowed last season. This was the number two team in first downs allowed. They were number two against the run. They were this good all along. This was what they were. And I got to pull this up on my phone because this was something I saw the other day. It was a graphic. They've got the highest-paid edge rusher in the league. They've mm-hmm. got the, the third-highest-paid inside linebacker in average annual value in Fred Warner. they got the fifth-highest-paid defensive end in the league in total value at Armstead. they got the sixth-highest-paid defensive tackle in average value in Javon Hargrave. They have all these guys on this team that are really good at what they do, and they get paid really well to do what they do. And we even talk about how highly paid the guys on offense are because George Kittle, highest-paid tight end in the league. Highest-paid pullback in use check. Um, Highest-paid offensive lineman in total value in Trent Williams, whom I saw pulling on a running play, and it just didn't seem fair that that guy is pulling as a tackle and just clearing out entire sides of people. Highest-paid running back in average annual value, Christian McCaffrey. And then Debo Samuel, he's the seventh-highest-paid receiver in the league, but he's still making a good bit of money. But guess what, folks? When we talk about how good this team is and how highly paid these guys are today, you saw where the money goes. You saw why all these guys are getting paid so much, and you saw why people in San Francisco, including Sterling Bennett, who we talked to this past week, said, hey, it's Super Bowl or bust in San Francisco, and you saw why on the field today.
1: And you saw, conversely, if you want to talk about, what, the second highest paid defense in the league, you saw one guy show up. Cam Hayward getting dinged up about halfway through, tries to come back, then leaves. Uh, Minka didn't show up except to get in a little bit of a scrum towards the end of the game. Pat Pete on and off, but mostly off uh today, getting beat on the first touchdown by Ayuk. Uh well, slipping and falling, but it also looked like right. he got beat there. Um he and and you know the this is a defense, the Steelers defense, and that's also paid pretty well. But the difference was with the Niners defense, it's it's across all three levels of the D where you have players right. who are compensated well. And this, once again, we were reminded. As I saw, I think, Debo Samuel at one point, maybe Brandon Ayuk at another point, George Kittle on an occasion or two, run across the middle of the field with an inside linebacker desperately running after them in Mm -hmm. coverage. The same thing we've seen, a tradition unlike any other. I fully expect Jim Nance to come into my ear when he sees that and go, oh, here we go, right around a corner. It's another Steelers inside <laughs> linebacker chasing a tight end or, or a slot receiver. It happens constantly, Josh. That yeah. still hasn't been fixed. Now, I will say this. I thought it was interesting. I just saw snap counts come out, and Cole Holcomb led those inside linebackers with 52 snaps. Quan mm. Alexander had 45. Elandon Roberts only had 28. Now, he did not look great in coverage. I saw him leave one or two guys open in the middle of the field, but Elandon Roberts wasn't hired to cover people. Alan exactly. Roberts was hired to come up and smack guys in the run game, which he did today. And you would suspect that that would have put him on the field more late in the game when the right. Niners were, had a, a greater propensity to run. But I found that interesting. Um, I guess the greater point here is that those question marks we had about those three spots on the defense, nickel corner, inside linebacker and strong safety, they're still giant question marks.
0: I'd say two of them pretty much got rendered in mood as far as nickel corner and strong safety was concerned because most of what you saw was either with the inside linebackers or with the corners on the outside. It was the corners on the outside that were having the rough day. The nickel corner really didn't need to be mentioned because you didn't see as much there. But the outside corners, were, man, they were, having, they were having themselves a bad afternoon because yeah. you mentioned Patrick Peterson. Levi Wallace didn't look oh. too impressive either. He had himself a day. And Chris, I feel like I want to.
1: I feel like I want to overnight some aloe vera to Levi Wallace's house to take care of those burns. Because I'm telling he's you, right? Like, I mean, but,
0: but you and, but you and I talked about this. We talked about the whole thing with matching up with McCaffrey and Kittle and Samuel. And sometimes you'll forget. Oh yeah, Brandon Ayuk is on this team. That's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. The, yep. You can tell the Steelers were like, okay, can't let Kittle beat you. You can't let Samuel beat you because after a certain point, you didn't hear as much from Debo Samuel. You, you didn't hear as much from George Kittle. It was more or less just about making sure their presence was there, but you kept them contained. Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey, there's a lot of people who can't stop Christian McCaffrey. This is where I remind people, good trivia. Christian McCaffrey at Stanford, his last year at Stanford, he broke Barry Sanders' all-purpose yards record in a season for college football and didn't win the Heisman. Let's point that part. Out. That's just yeah. crazy, but set that, set that to the side. You had these three guys, two of which eventually, as the game went along, weren't as prominent. But McCaffrey, they could, they did not have an answer for him. They had no counterpunch. They could not do anything with him. But at the same time, while you're trying to deal with those three guys, they had absolutely no answer for Brandon Ayuk. None whatsoever. So we can talk about what happened with the inside linebackers and nickel cornerbacks. In the strong safeties, it didn't matter because the outside corners had the worst day got of all. Torched, as yeah, far eight, as those, uh, that group was concerned.
1: Eight catches, one hundred and twenty-nine yards, two touchdowns for Ayuk, and so yeah, those guys. And, and for, somehow Joey Porter Jr. only ended up on the field for seven snaps. That Weird. I, I, I mean, at some point in the second half of that game, not even in the second half. I'm thinking late second quarter. If I'm on the sidelines and I'm a, a member of the defensive coaching staff. And if I'm not a member of the defensive coaching staff, maybe I'm the head coach, I look around and say, hey, hey, that that yep, that, that second round, yeah, the, we know the kid. Yeah, he used to be a ball boy mm-hmm. sometimes. You, you guys remember? Yeah, yeah. skinny, yeah. Uh, physical, yeah. Uh, Joe, 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 does anybody know where Joe is? Joe Porter, Jr. No, 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 not you, Joe. Stay in the stands. Joe Porter, Jr. <laughs> does anybody know? It, it was like they had him on a milk carton. I don't understand it.
0: It, it was odd for for it was hard me to see that. And there were a couple of times you saw him on the field, but they really didn't necessarily need to go in his direction because they were too busy picking on the veterans that they had. Maybe yeah. that's why, Chris. Maybe why they're also thinking, hey, they're killing the veterans. Don't put the kid in there. He'll get cooked too. I, I can't really explain yeah. that. That's one of those things you'd have to probably talk to his position coach and his coordinator about. And that's stuff that they go over during the week. And usually when it comes to – who's going to play and how much. That's something that the position coaches and the coordinators usually dole out. and They kind of work with the head coach to sort that out. So clearly they thought their veteran guys were the better options for a game like this. But no, they weren't because that didn't work too well either. They got, they got so blocked. now my question would have been when you get to the second half of the game and, and San Francisco started to empty their bench, but they started shuffling some guys in late in the third quarter going into the fourth. You're like, all right. Well, let's put this kid out here and see what he can do. I'm surprised that that didn't happen a lot sooner. But yeah, it very, very curious with a guy that we that we heard that they were going to try to shuffle in as much as they could, despite missing that first preseason game. Only seven snaps in, in week one's kind of kind of alarming.
1: Yeah, and a, a handful of injuries on that side of the ball too, or at oh, least yeah. a few. Cam, we mentioned him earlier with a groin. Uh, the Marvin Liao, a tricep arm injury. Um, those two are big, um, mm. Leal, not as much cause they were rotating guys in at, at, at that spot. But I think when you lose both of them up front, well, now we're talking about a defensive front that's already getting beaten up by the Niners offensive front, ripping holes open. And now we're taking pieces out of that. Ogan Joby was less than hundred percent as well. Yeah. Um, and that's how Christian McCaffrey ends up with 152 yards on the ground. They, they, they just, again, they just out physical them. They beat him I, up.
0: Now I, I'm I'm gonna circle back to Levi Wallace here because he wasn't just burned in the passing game. That, oh. that touchdown <laughs> run that he rattled off in the second half and that, that first possession of the third quarter. Levi Wallace had a chance to bring Christian McCaffrey down to the ground and limit it to maybe a five or six yard gain. Uh-huh. And he just couldn't even wrap him up. All he had to do was go and just <laughs> put arms put arms around and like. Pull in one direction, he couldn't do it. For, and and I don't that's know if it a best breaker good. too. That that it play is. right there is
1: is what seals the it, deal, because the the Steelers had actually established a little bit of momentum going into the half with the two minute right. drill and scoring the touchdown. And you thought, okay, maybe there's some life here. But when the Niners come out on the first possession of the second half and score, you go, all right, well, I, th- this book's been written. Well,
0: there's there's two things I can respond to that. The the response to the first part about it, we talked about the two-minute drill. Was that the Steelers finding a rhythm? Or was that San Francisco saying, you know, we got a 20-point lead, yeah, the almost let's over two-minute yeah. drill. Let's back off a little bit and just not get beat too badly. Yeah. Granted, they eventually got in the end zone anyway. Some pretty good play call, pretty good play calling in the red zone. That that happened that we have mentioned it a lot in this space. <laughs> well, during that drive, it happened. And also, perhaps Kenny Pickett's best throw of the day. Yeah. That prior move to score that touchdown. One that might have been his really best nice throw throws. of the day. Yeah. yeah. Now here's the problem. It was his best throw of the day, and it was his last one of the first half. That's a problem. That's no good. The second part of it is it, let, let's change, let's take the scenario and flip it around. Let's say it's the Steelers with the ball. Let's say the Steelers run that play and it's a Najee Harris or Jalen Warren coming through that gap, and it's a San Francisco DB coming to try to stop, try to stuff that gap and make that tackle. Do we think that happens with that San Francisco DB? He's making that tackle. That corner, whether it's Ward, whether it's Afunga, whoever it is, Lenore, mm-hmm. they're making that hit. They're bringing that man down to the ground, or they're holding him up for someone else yeah. to bring him to the ground. That effort on that touchdown by McCaffrey, it was Beautiful. not up there. Yeah, it was, was not there. That is something where – and I'm one of those people where I think they blame the defense for a lot of stuff. That's on the defense there. Effort there is bad, and you got to be held accountable. They're going to watch that tape when they sit down for that, and someone's going to point at him and be like, this can't keep going on. This can't no. keep happening because that was bad. That looked and really bad. And like you bad. pointed
1: out, that's, that's one of your veterans. That's, that's, that's that, a veteran
0: that's,
1: that's not, guy. That's not a Joey Porter, 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 Porter. Yeah,
0: it's not Porter. It's Wallace. And that's part of why I'm like, maybe they want to put the kid in there because the vets can't get it done. Or maybe that is the reason to put the kid in there because the vets aren't putting out the effort but you can't, you cannot have plays like that and try to stay in the game against a team like that. It's just not possible.
1: The one silver lining to this whole defensive performance, the one silver lining that kept me from wanting to launch the entire defense into the sun was Trent Jordan. Watt showed up in a big way, had all three sacks for this team, had two forced fumbles. I believe it was, Mm -hmm. um, nearly recovered one, uh, Brock Purdy just kind of laid on it like a beached whale and threw his arms behind himself. um but he had he had exactly the kind of game we thought he 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 might have. um he's the only guy though on that side of the ball that showed up. um if you get just one more guy showing up in half the measure that TJ Watt showed up, I think we're talking about a different game because you're not down by uh you know two scores going into the half. you're not spending, much of the first half just trying to get that one touchdown, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're not and, – and maybe it's it's something about the fact that they were out there as much as they were, but in that case, the rest of this defense is not in the kind of shape they need to be in because, again, T.J. Watt was the only one that looked like he was prepared for it.
0: It was really the one topic that we talked about on the Steelers side of things that worked out because we talked to Sterling Bennett and he mentioned, hey, Colton McKibbitts is the guy at right tackle. Right. He's replacing Mike McGlinchey because McGlinchey signed in Denver as a free agent and went and got paid. We talked about that matchup. Hey, this might be a rough day for Colton McGlinchey and that's exactly, um, for Colton McKibbitts, that's exactly, exactly what it was because TJ, Watt, not only did he really have the, the game that he had, he seemed to get stronger as the game went on. He seemed to get more yeah. intense and harder to stop as the game went on because you mentioned it, he forced two fumbles. He didn't re- recover the, the first one, but he made sure he got a hold of the second one. And I made the joke in, in our, our group text. I'm like, just build the whole plan out of TJ. Clearly, that's what you need to do. Because he seemed to be the only guy that was really playing for anything, and, and this is one of those things where you talk to those, those you know, more established veterans, and they're like, after a while, and this is something uh I Taylor should talk about when I produce his radio show for him. He's like sooner or later. You got to play for pride. You got to play because you represent you. You represent your family, your alma mater, your team, whatever. Sometimes you just got to play for pride. TJ Watt looked like a guy who was playing for pride in that second half. He looked like a guy who was playing for pride in that entire game. And he was whooping Colton McKibbitts like a guy who was playing for pride.
1: All right. That's one side of the ball. Um, When we come back, we flip it over to the other side of the ball because I don't think any of us, especially after the way they performed in the preseason, expected the Steelers offense to look this bad in the regular season. Plus – Maybe a little bit of hope, maybe a little bit of a silver lining going forward. Just looking at the schedule, we'll get into that as well. As uh week one is officially in the books, and it did not go the way anybody expected to. Steelers lose to the Niners. 30-7. This, a post-game edition of fourth down in the Steel City. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast,
0: lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
1: Depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan can want. This is 4th Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. Welcome back in 4th Down in the Steel City alongside Josh Taylor. I'm Chris Mack. We are breaking down week one and ugly, ugly loss to the San Francisco 49ers. 30-7. to seven. Everybody was jacked up and felt like Josh I saw this. I, I did the the pregame show for the fan down at Rivers Casino, and it felt like a lot of people were excited. There was an energy about this thing because it was the first time they had opened at home in what eight or nine years. And, and th- I mean, what are we? Seven minutes into the game, and that's right out the window because the offense just was hideous. Um, the, the, I, I'm not. I, I can't put it all in one direction, but I can tell you. That is not the way any of us expected Kenny Pickett to perform. Um, after the way he performed in the second half last year, yeah. after the way he performed in the preseason this year, 31 of 46 for 232 yards, a, a touchdown and two picks, uh, f- sacked five times as well. And you could probably argue he ran into one or two of those. He got His, his feet got a little happy there late in the ballgame. Blame that on the O-line if you want or blame it on him. Here and over there, this offense – 41 yards on the ground on just 10 carries Um, they got unbalanced really quick because they got down really quick and because they were showing zero ability to convert what Mike Tomlin referred to at least half a dozen times in his post-game press conference as the weighty downs I think they were 0 for their first five on third down they simply couldn't stay on the field
0: it it was in some of it like I talked about it before, some of it wasn't really anybody's fault, like Deontay Johnson falls during that first series. You're willing to kind of let that go. You're like, okay, he he fell, no big deal. Um, I I thought, even on that first interception, the one that I think was Sherverius Ward got his hands Mm on, receiver fell on that one. You're you're willing to look past that. You're like, okay, that's something that you really can't control. Not really the quarterback's fault because he was assuming that a receiver would be on his feet by the time the ball got So you can't blame Kenny Pickett for the first interception. Right. However, when you get into the situation where – and it's not like they had a bunch of third and longs in the first half. They had third and manageable situations. Now, of course, the slip and fall on the one third down, okay, you look past that. But when you start missing throws and just not getting the ball to the receivers accurately on third manageable, they got in the red zone at one point. Kenny Pickett, very easy throw inside or uh, receiver – Coming inside, all you do is hit him in stride. He might even get to the end zone. You throw it behind him. These are things that you can't blame on receivers. These are things you can't blame on the offensive coordinator. These are things you cannot blame on the head coach because they are not the one standing in the pocket throwing the ball. That is your quarterback's job to make that throw. And if he does not make that throw, it's no one else's fault, whether it's on third down or any other down. But there were opportunities to convert third downs. And this offense, for whatever reason, pick person to blame and insert name here. It right. just was not working. I, I thought about Chris. I'm, I'm gonna throw this one at you. I'm gonna throw another old school reference in here. Right. Right, that, old Cat, that old Cat Williams line, a Chrysler 300 looks like a Chrysler, looks like a phantom until a phantom pulls up. Yes. That's what this offense was, because we came out of the preseason talking about all oh, this offense in the run game and right. you know five. Five possessions with five touchdowns and Kenny Pickett one one fifty eight point three rating and all this other stuff. We thought the Steelers' offense looked like a phantom, mm-hmm. and then a phantom pulled up in San Francisco, and we it's, were like, "Oh man, this is, this is bull. This ain't even my
1: offense, right?
0: now. This ain't <laughs> even my car. That's what they look like, but it, pretty it good wasn't." Good, Williams' thing.
1: voice too.
0: Uh, you know, I've been working on that, but. <laughs> It, and it wasn't even necessarily – because as good as this defense was, as much as we talked about them and as well as they performed and as much as they hit people all day long, it wasn't like it was entirely all they're doing. The Steelers had some opportunities to control what they can control and they just failed to do it. Mike well, Tomlin talked about making routine plays routinely all throughout the preseason. They weren't making routine plays routinely. It, it wasn't all scheme and it wasn't all something else. Guys just weren't executed.
1: Well, and there's there is, I think – so he was asked about it after the game by I think it was Alan Saunders who asked them about mm-hmm. not having it was referenced during the 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 training camp and preseason not having this offense and this team in general don't have the luxury of warming up the things right they got to walk in ready to go and he was right. asked you know was was the way this game started a failure to to, to heed that and all Mike Thomas said was yeah yeah um, he should I, did I, LA
0: night style yeah yeah he yeah. was missing yeah. Because that would, that would have been a lot more emphatic and still true and accurate, and no one would have argued with him.
1: That would be the adjective instead of the verb or something like that. Anyway, knock back, back Kevin Nash.
0: <laughs> because he's not a moron.
1: <laughs> exactly. There you go. Uh, so, but here's here's what struck me about that first series in particular, right? And we saw, I think, the offense in the preseason succeed because this offensive line could be physical, right? Like you bring in, yep. say, Amalo. Um, Dan Moore Jr. has become more successful because he's been willing to take the game to whoever's in front of them and punch them in the mouth. Um, James Daniels is willing to do that. Mason Cole is willing to do that. This offensive line has finally started to look physical the way they need to to have some level of success in the run game. And that first series, I, it struck me. I don't know if it struck you the same way. They, they get a, exactly what we talked about on, on Thursday and Friday. Quick hitter to Pickens, get the offense moving. Right, okay. Second and short. I felt good about that. Yeah, second and four. I felt really good too. And then it's a little, it's a little jet sweep, pop pass, little uh, you know, to Calvin Austin that gets bottled up in the back. That's the kind of play. And I'm not throwing this all in Matt Canada's lap. I don't want to do that. I don't want to throw the jet sweep out with the bathwater. I'm not saying that necessarily either. But it told me, oh, we're gonna try to get cute early. We're going to try to get misdirectional early. We're going to try and get on the edges early with a guy. And I got nothing against Calvin Austin either. He let him in catches today, six for 37 yards.
0: Yeah. He but did what he could. Uh,
1: that's, that's a moment where once we get the quick hitter to Pickens to pick up six second and four, just turn around and hand it off, turn around and hand it off. Let your offensive lineman get into the game and punch somebody in the mouth. And if you only get three, fine, you got third and one, you got two plays to pick it up. Let's let's go do it. Um, that told me that maybe we were going to try to be a little too cute and that we weren't going to necessarily, I say we, like I was down there, that they weren't going to necessarily look to punch anybody in the mouth early on. And I think maybe I'm making too much of one play here. Tell me if you think that's the case, but I read a lot into that Calvin Austin jet sweep that told me, Oh man, we're going to try and be cute. Instead of, instead of trying to out physical them instead, we came to a back back alley street fight. And instead of just getting down in the muck and the mud, we're going to try and dance around them somehow. Mm-mm. When somebody wants to fight, you got to stand there and trade punches with them sometimes, or at least show that you're willing to stand in there and trade punches. And that second and four play uh, just told me, mm, no, we're going to try to be a little cute sometimes today.
0: I disagree, but not because of what the Steelers did. Okay. I disagree because of what San Francisco did in their first drive on offense because San Francisco's first drive, they brought a guy in jet motion mm-hmm. and handed it off to Debo Samuel, and he actually got positive yards out of it. I think he got what, six or seven yards off of that play. So it's not like it's some crazy idea to try the jet sweep and see where it goes because when you're doing it that early in the game, you're really doing it for one reason. You're trying to see, and, and I think I think it was Craig Wolf who explained this, and we'll get into the fact that. I ended up having to rewatch the first quarter because I missed the entire first quarter of the game. I had to listen to him on radio. But um, Craig Wolfley was talking about how, you know, when you do that, you're trying to see a if they're going to cut, if they're going to stretch all those gaps out. And B, right. you're trying to see what the communication is like. Well, the Steelers offense tried it against the 49ers defense and failed. The 49ers tried it against the Steelers offense and it succeeded for comparatively. So it told me two things. One, it was telling me that the Steelers were going to try to figure out, OK, how much room can we try to create for ourselves to run the ball between the tackles? And see, if we had that going because San Francisco tried the exact same thing. Right. And it, it, but here's the difference between the two. San Francisco had the chance to actually follow up on it later. The Steelers mm-hmm. never did. They never got a chance to really follow up on that and see if it can turn into something else for them. So it looked a lot worse even in hindsight because even if they were trying to set themselves up for something later, that's something later, later never even came because they were down by a couple possessions by the end of the first quarter. It never and, even mattered.
1: And, and I think it's a great point about it, you know feeling out the opposing defense, trying to get an idea for how they're going to read and react to what you're doing. And I can totally right. understand that. And in that case, I'll even walk back my point a little bit and say, okay, that's fine. You wanna, you wanna they, they were a trying to that jab
0: we were talking yeah. about before. Exactly. They were you trying to do that.
1: Couple, slip a couple jabs early, that's fine. But when you find out that the jab isn't gonna be effective, okay? Right. Like the Najee Harris stretch play on first and t- on first down, the next possession goes nowhere. They lose two. Right. And you start to get a read on the fact that the Niners are not go they're not gonna let you stretch things out. They're not gonna let you get horizontal. That's when you start You said to- that was coming. You yeah, said that and, was coming. You and, said and they were gonna what- take the runaway. And that's when you say, okay, you're not going to let us stretch out. You're going to put eight in the box. We'll fight a little fire with fire then here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then that's when you bring your second tight end in. That's when you go with your 12 personnel. And they, we didn't see Darnell Washington on a, at a significant amount of snaps in this game until Pat Fryer got dinged up. And when you sure. Darnell Washington got in there, what did he do? Put, put Nick Bosa on his back.
0: You pancake like, Nick Bosa. Because I yeah. texted you about that. I'm like, yeah, I know you saw that. <laughs> Yes, I was paying
1: attention to it. I was drizzling some syrup on top of Nick Bosa oh, while yeah. he was down there.
0: That was, that was salt
1: bay time right there. So when you realize that you're not going to be able to run some of that zone read stretch stuff to the outside because they're going to fill the gaps because they've got eight in the box and Hufong just crashing down all the time.
0: And they Who's, see it every day in practice and they do it better than anybody on the offensive side. Right. Know it's coming.
1: So you've got a couple of options there. If, if you really still want to try to run the ball, then – you know what? You, you got a fullback on this roster. He's kind of a hybrid H-back, Connor Hayward, but mm-hmm. put him in there. You've got two tight ends that you really trust in Friar Youth and Washington. Washington blocks like a tackle. We've heard how many people talk about him as the 6-0 lineman, right? Put wow. him out there. Let him block. Let You know, there was very little. And again, I don't try to throw everything on Matt Canada's back. Because not everything is his fault. But there it seemed to me there was very little adaptability or adjustment uh, at, at for, the, for the little brief window of time that they had to adapt and adjust before they got down 17-0. They had a couple of possessions there where they could have gone, okay, they're not going to let us stretch the field right. horizontally. Let's see if we can punch them in the mouth and just push some things forward vertically that way. And they didn't try it. And before you know it, you're down 17 and the game plan kind of goes out the window anyway.
0: I'm I'm with you. And if anybody's paid attention to what I've talked about in the last several years, I would talk about my hierarchy of blame as -hmm. far as, okay, if this happens, this is this person's fault. I'm not one of those people that's going to blame the offensive coordinator if a pass doesn't go well because someone either missed a block or someone just didn't catch it. That's not the offensive coordinator's fault. But to your point if you know that the defense is not going to give you a lot of ground to try to run the ball a certain kind of way or try to go in a certain kind of direction, sometimes it doesn't hurt you to take a cue of what the other team does because I don't think people who who, who don't pay attention to X's and O's regularly pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. The Steelers do a lot of things on offense, believe it or not, that San Francisco does on
1: offense. Oh, yeah, very similar. The
0: problem is San Francisco is just way better at it. Once again – 300 looks like a phantom until the phantom pulls up.
1: Yes.
0: And that's what we got going here. Now, at the same time, also imitation is the most sincere form of flattery because mm-hmm. this is something San Francisco did that the Steelers did not do. San Francisco would get into run style personnel and they would get some run looks. But you know what they would do? They would throw out of those run looks.
1: Oh, I was here's,
0: hoping here's, to see that. And I didn't even see that. wild thought.
1: thought. Play action? <gasps> a wild you thought? You see run where-
0: you see where yeah. I'm going with this. Now, granted, at some point, like I mean, play action after a while becomes moot if you can't wait. When you're down 17. The yeah. Yeah. But you bring up a good point. And even if it's just to the point where I'm with you, bring in Connor Hayward, give them a look where Connor Hayward's kind of in an HVAC position and give us a throw concept out of it. Give us a throw yeah. out of a run look. Because San Francisco did that quite a few times in the first half and it worked for them. Now, granted, you can go back to the argument with Ad McCaffrey and Debo, Sammy, and George Kittle. They can do all that. That's true, but you also have guys that you brought into this organization specifically to perform certain roles in Mm -hmm. Matt Canada's offense, so you know the capability to do it is there. So if you brought all these people in there, if you're this fully functioning battle station that we thought you were after the preseason, use this opportunity to do things of that nature. Give us some passes out of run looks or give us some runs out of passing looks. Either way, just do something a little bit different that the defense might not be coming. Another thing I was hoping to see, because we saw this last season, after the bye week they came out against New Orleans, they gave us looks out of the pistol and ran Najee Harris out of the pistol. Mm-hmm. They weren't trying to go left or right. They weren't trying to go outside zone. They were trying to go inside zone. They were trying to go north to south just to give Najee a head of steam and give this offensive line some of space to get some push and get it's, some holes. And they didn't do that either. I wanted to see that.
1: It's almost as if and I know they're not doing this because it's been so long since he's been here and the coaching staff has turned over to a great extent in many ways. And it's completely different personnel. Damn it. It looks like they're still trying to block for Le'Veon Bell sometimes. Like it feels stop, like it, stop trying to stretch it to the sideline and you don't have a running back back there, whether it's Warren or Harris, who's going to pitter, patter, pitter patter, pitter, patter, then go. You, these are one cut, stick a foot in the ground and go kind of guys. That's why Warren's been successful because he stays committed to that style. Najee has not had as much success, although I guess five yards of carry, even if it was only on six carries today, had a little bit of success and most of it came on one run. Yeah. 25
0: Um, came on one of them. So, yeah.
1: yeah. So I, I mean, he, he has had less success because he looks like he's trying to run like Lev Bell,
0: but that one run came out of the passing look.
1: There you go. And, and and it was during that two minute
0: drill, right. so
1: And and when did they have a little bit of success? You know, we talk about Washington pancaking Bosa. When they mm. when they did get a couple of tight ends out there together, yeah. they had a little bit of success too. That was something I was really hoping for going into this week. And it's all I wanted. All I wanted. Washington saw 24 snaps. And again, I think most of those came because Friar Muth was dinged up. So I'm not hopeful we see that going forward, unfortunately. Maybe it'll be different next Monday night against the Browns, but let's start to try and find a little bit of hope because it's not all bad news. It's one game. There's 16 more, right? In fact, if you go by the the BetQL model, which played out like 10,000 simulations. Thank you very much, Neil Huntington. He might be on staff there now. Um, (laughs) They played out 10,000 simulations and the game, the Steelers had the smallest percentage chance to win on their schedule was this one. Just a 38% chance to win this game.
0: Wait, wait, and- wait, 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 Chris. Hold on a second. You mean to tell me the game that the Steelers had the smallest chance of winning was against a team that played in the NFC Championship last right. season? It was, it was and an the major year before that.
1: Away from the Super Bowl? Yeah. But, but they were not. also there
0: the year before that and the year yeah. before that, and they played the Super Bowl somewhere in that point. They have like all these dudes that are among the highest paying in their position.
1: I know. It's a crazy concept. Per- it's a thought,
0: Chris. Perish the thought. <laughs>
1: That was my mind blowing <laughs> up. Um, so they're still in a decent spot. They've got two divisional games and two mm-hmm. games they should absolutely win. Yes. Before bye. The two games they should absolutely win. And I'm not here for that tub special thing. It, it's, it's, it's Las Vegas and the Raiders are bad and they should uh. beat the Raiders. Um, mm-hmm. That's week three on the road. Week four on the road at Houston. Okay. That's I'm the one that
0: scares season. me though.
1: The Texans didn't look as awful necessarily as we expected early on against the Ravens, but ultimately in the end, they ended up looking like the Texans still. And that's a young quarterback. You should be able to confuse Stroud. You should be able to get in his kitchen. There's not a lot of weapons around him. So those should be wins. So let's just say you split the Browns and Ravens. Okay. You split the Browns and Ravens. You get to the bye three and two. I'm not ecstatic over the moon doing cartwheels about it, but I'll take it because you come out of the bye and four of your next five are winnable. I mean, right. Rams. Uh, you do have to host the Jags, who I think are better this year than they were last year. You, but you host three in a row: Jags, Titans, Packers. And I think Titans. You got to win at least two. You got to win at least two of those, and then you go on the road to Cleveland. So again, you win three out of those five. Well, now we're, we're six and four. And before you know it, we've got, okay, we've got two games left against the Bengals, but Mm -hmm. we got the Cardinals at home. We got the Patriots at home on a Thursday night. we got a trip to Indy. You know, you can find your way to 10 wins at that point. If you can just get to through week 11, six and four, and that's eminently possible given this schedule You're in a spot to make the playoffs as a sixth or seventh wild card with 10 wins in the AFC. So the season is not over despite how bad it looked today. I guess is my point.
0: And all of that is true. I'm going to take one particular point you made Mm -hmm. and add a little bit of a caveat onto it. We're talking about these two divisional games coming up. Yes. One of them is against Cleveland, but it is against Cleveland at home on a Monday night.
1: Hmm
0: and you just lost to San Francisco, you cannot afford to lose that game.
1: Oh, no. And Cleveland's
0: coming in with all the confidence of the world, having just smacked Cincinnati around. Yeah. You can't lose that game.
1: No. You you, you lose the Monday night at home to Cleveland. You put yourself in a situation where you have to win your three remaining games before the bye or really start to get behind the eight ball. Um, Because you already just lost the
0: home game in week one, and losing on Monday nights – that's not really something the Steelers do that often in their franchise history and losing Monday nights at home is even more rare than losing a Monday night at home to Cleveland. That's like,
1: Mm-mm. and you can't lose sin. Territory. And, and just due to the hard math of things, you can't lose AFC games. Like I, I hate exactly. to pretend, I hate to pretend like losing 30 to seven to open the season is not a big deal. It is because of the way it, it happened, but losing to an NFC team, to be honest, uh, an NFC championship caliber team Let's all take a step back. Let's take a deep breath. Okay. It was ugly, but it's out of the way. Now, down to you Brass. Know you
0: know what it is? You know what it is in essence? It, like in college football, it's that non conference game against the team from maybe a much stronger conference that you normally mm-hmm. don't play against. And you're probably not, you're never going to see them again down the road. You might not even see them in the bowl game if you make it to one. And you knew you had to play up a little bit in your schedule, but you wanted to see just how good you are. You lost that game. You're like, Okay, you
1: know we we took
0: the loss. But we got the rest of this conference here. We're ready to go. That's right.
1: what that feels it's, like. It's it's Texas Tech losing right. to Oregon, although that game was exactly yeah. You know? mm, um, true. And, and and but you know it it was, it, it's not gonna kill your hopes, your playoff hopes. Right. right. You start losing right. to the Browns at home in prime time, then yeah. To your point, that's one that looks really really bad, and again puts you in a spot where you got to win out going into the bye just to get to three and two
0: or you lose to Houston, or you lose to Vegas, or two of those three, not even counting what happens to Baltimore, all of that starts to add up. And then you're in that bucket you were in last year after losing to the Jets, after losing some of these these, these games against conference opponents, that ended up like Miami, who were both ahead of you in the conference standings, and it, ultimately losing to both of those teams, catch you out of a playoff
1: spot. I will say this, Josh. If somehow things remain as bad as they were today through the next four weeks and they arrive at the bye week one and four, <sighs> this will be Mike Tomlin's first losing season. Like, I know he's spun some magic before and gotten them back to 500 in the past or back to just barely above that that mark. It's not happening. If If they don't start at least two and three, more satisfactorily, three and two. They're not getting to nine wins this year. They're not.
0: Here's the frustration that I think and I'm one of those people that when I hear people complain about, oh well, you know, well if you're if you're okay with Mike Tobin never having losing season, you just accept mediocrity. No, you're just finding a reason to complain. Those people I take and go, just shut up. But there are other people who probably put it in a much better perspective because it's not necessarily about the fact that okay. Another losing season, but you haven't gone anywhere. Lost playoff game. It's about how you're getting to those non-losing seasons. You can't keep going back to that well. This cannot be North Turner with the Chargers, where oh. they're you know below 500 halfway through the season, and the second half of the season is save North's job. This cannot be that kind of scenario over and over again. You can't keep going to that well where you have to rally back to say, "Oh, great, look, see, we fought back and not have a losing season." You don't want to right. keep having that happen because sooner or later something's going to go the wrong way. And maybe that valve won't be there to pull when the time comes, or maybe it'll just snap right off, And you're like, wait a minute, this didn't go the way we planned it. So you can't keep going back to that one. You bring up a good point.
1: Um, It's uh, not the way we expected things to go week one, but again, not the end of the world. Bounce back, find your footing against the division rival in a primetime game at home, like you pointed out in week two. Mm -hmm. And there's a chance to get things set back onto the path that you hoped they would be. After that really successful, really good-looking preseason. That'll do it for the post-game edition of 4th Down in the Steel City. Josh and I, alongside Greg Finley, will be with you throughout the week. We'll get you prepped for Mike Tomlin's press conference on Tuesday. We'll react to it after the fact. Keep you up to date on what's going on at practices. A bit of a longer week this week as we'll build up to a Monday night game against the Browns. But We will be here for you, so make sure you have subscribed inside itunes spotify stitcher soundcloud however you do it push the magic button that gets you notified and gets those podcasts to show up as soon as we are done with them so you can stay up to date of course you know your odyssey app is the best way to do that A U D A C Y, it's free go download it today if you haven't already and of course youtube as well you can watch the show uh, because we know you guys sometimes it's easiest to just pop that youtube on leave us over there in the corner and while you're maybe doing some work you're listening to us it's called multitasking i'm not good at it but some people are and so we appreciate however you digest this game with us and again we will be here with you throughout week two to get you ready for steelers browns a big monday night game just one week away now we'll be here all week for it on fourth down in the steel city